The author of this episode writes, I remember sitting in my first freshman class meeting at Bible college. I looked around at the people I would get to know over the course of the next four years. They were a diverse group of young men and women from all over the world. One young man had a natural singing ability that gained him immediate attention, and his vibrant and excited personality seemed to attract everyone. There was a certain young lady in the room we immediately knew was going to be popular. Her last name meant she already came with a reputation, and being in her circle could it could lead to a lot of adventures and networking connections down the road. Scouring the room, I saw another young man I wished I could be more like. He could do everything. He could preach. He could play multiple instruments. He was more athletic than any of the other freshmen. I sat in the back of the freshman class meeting and proposed that these were the people I wanted to be around on a regular basis. I regret to admit much of my first semester was spent trying to impress people like the good singer, the young lady with a recognizable last name, and the athletic guy. But near the end of the semester, I received a disturbing wake-up call. The dean of students stood up in chapel and mournfully announced that a certain young man, one of my fellow freshmen, was dropping out of school and going back home. My mind was immediately filled with questions. This guy was in all my classes. We sat next to each other. At times, we even shared notes on occasion. But the more I thought about it, I shamefully realized I had not seen him in a couple weeks and I hadn't even noticed. It was slowly revealed through quiet conversation that he had fallen into a deep clinical depression and had chosen to lock himself in his dorm room. He was surviving on snacks and old food in his mini fridge for almost one month. He had not attended classes or chapel, had turned in assignments or responded to email from his professors. It wasn't until a concerned professor took it upon himself to go to the young man's dorm room that he discovered he was still in there. This story is tragic, but what's even more frustrating is that it's a dorm full of young Bible college students, including myself, and we were completely oblivious to our fellow student in need. For weeks, this young man hid in his room with a crippling mental illness, and nobody bothered knock on his door to see how he was doing. I tell this true story with conviction. I had spent so much of my time trying to impress my good-looking, popular neighbors that I completely overlooked one of my neighbors who desperately needed a loving friend. This memory serves as a constant reminder to me to be on the lookout for my neighbors in need of godly love, caring friendships, and emotional support. And I'll share more about what Jesus had to say about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast. Brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I am your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. Today's episode stems from a lesson dated July 3rd, 2022, and it is called Love Your Neighbor. And it's from Luke chapter 10, verses 36 through 37, a story many of you may know as the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus asked the question at the end of that story, Which now of these three thinkest thou? was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Now my challenge to you, of course, is to love your neighbor, but my challenge to you today is at some point during the day, use the phrase, thinkest thou. Maybe you want to ask your wife, Hey, where would you like to go to eat, thinkest thou, on this night? 
It'll be fun. Just a little King James Version language for the day. One of the primary reasons many people have difficulty following this command of Jesus to love our neighbor as ourself is because we have a modern misunderstanding of who our neighbor is. Our modern concept typically means our neighbor is the person we live next to, live nearby. We have houses on the same street. We share an apartment building. Or we could walk to their house from ours. But as the story I told you earlier demonstrates, many times we try to pick and choose our neighbors from among people we like, people who are like us, people who can benefit us in some regard. But as we study Jesus' words, we discover there's a difference between who we would like our neighbors to be and who Jesus says our neighbors are. Ultimately, if we don't understand who Jesus considers to be our neighbors, we might fail to accurately follow the second greatest commandment to love our neighbor as ourself. It could also be argued that we cannot completely fulfill the first greatest commandment, which is to love God with everything we have, until we learn to accurately fulfill the second commandment as well. So here's a question. Why is it impossible, thinkest thou, to love God without loving your neighbor? See how easy that was to throw that in there? And why is it impossible to love your neighbor without loving God? As Luke 10 shows in multiple instances, lawyers were trying to test Jesus. In Matthew 22, multiple individuals had grilled Jesus about specifics concerning the Old Testament law. The previous section where the Sadducees asked Jesus questions about the resurrection demonstrated that atmosphere and the mood on that particular day. The religious elites were trying to trap Jesus, and they thought they could trick him by asking him pointed questions about the Torah. But the lawyer asked Jesus about the greatest or the most important law in Moses' writings. From a legal perspective, the question undoubtedly contained an aspect of precedent and hierarchy of those laws. Which is the greatest one we need to keep? Which law is deemed the greatest to which all the other laws must bow their knee? But Jesus could not be fooled. He knew the law better than even the lawyers did because, after all, God wrote the law and Jesus was God in flesh. Jesus knew the original intent of every single commandment in the Torah, so he was ready with an answer. And Jesus answered the lawyer, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. In this very brief answer, Jesus gave a synopsis on how to obey the Torah. Love God, love your neighbor. The first law comes from a passage commonly known as the Shema, the beginning which states, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. Here's a little fun, a little Hebrew language for us today. Let me teach you how to say the Shema in Hebrew. Shema, Hezrael, Adonai Elohenu Adonai Akkad. The literally means here, Israel, Lord God, Lord One. It's the Shema. Some may consider the first commandment to be the simpler of the two, but it's impossible to perform the first commandment correctly without fulfilling the second. For Leviticus 19, verse 18 tells us, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. The basis upon which the children of Israel treated their neighbors was to be rooted in God's 
personhood, God's presence, if they truly believe God was who he said he was, and each person was made in God's own image, they would treat each other as others made in God's image. Here's another question. Think about the fact that all people, even the worst sinners, are made in the image of God. How does that change your perspective and approach to loving your neighbor? In the passage from Luke, another lawyer tried to test Jesus by asking how he could inherit eternal life. And Jesus answered just as he did in Matthew 22 by reciting the two greatest commandments, love God and love your neighbor. But this wasn't specific enough for the lawyer, so he pressed Jesus even further by asking, well, excuse me, sir, but who is my neighbor? And Luke records that the lawyer asked this question trying to justify himself. If the lawyer could determine specifically who was and who was not his neighbor, he might have some justification from Jesus for, I don't want to love some people, so maybe Jesus will let me off the hook. And sadly, this is the way some people approach this very question today. Instead of seeing everybody as a neighbor and loving everybody as much as we love ourselves, we like to pick and choose who our neighbors are. This can stem from a desire which is either conscious or subconscious to avoid having to be neighbors to people different from us. Many people today are still looking for an answer to the lawyer's question, asking, if I am commanded to love my neighbor as myself, exactly who is and who isn't my neighbor? But Jesus was ready. And Jesus told a story about a Samaritan. It was not just any Samaritan. This was a good Samaritan. And this was appalling to the Jews listening to the story because they hated the Samaritans. Neither group got along with each other. But even though they avoided each other, they were still neighbors, like it or not. And as Jesus told the story of a man suffering on the side of the road and needing assistance, the audience expected a character like the priest or like the Levite to be the hero of the story. But when Jesus announced the Samaritan cared for the man, they were shocked. Not only did the Samaritan care for the wounded man, he went above and beyond the call of duty. He bound up the man's wounds using his own equipment. He provided transportation for the man to a safe place and paid for his lodging, paid for his medical bills. And at the end of the story, when Jesus asked the lawyer who acted like a neighbor to the wounded man, the lawyer had to begrudgingly reply, uh, It was he that showed mercy on him. The lawyer couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan acted like the neighbor. The story was an indictment upon the Jewish priests and the Levite in the story. The fact that a Samaritan with whom the Jews had a long-standing dissension and feud, he was the only honorable man in the story. It left the lawyer and all the others listening to Jesus' words without any excuse or justification. And Jesus concluded the story of the Good Samaritan with the command, Go and do thou likewise. Jesus' command still resonates with us. The command to treat our neighbors with love and compassion in the same way the Samaritan treated the wounded Jewish man is still relevant to us. These two basic guidelines for Christian living have not changed. However, the second greatest commandment does carry with it a qualifier. Not only are we commanded to love our neighbors, but we are commanded to love our neighbors to the same degree we love our own selves. It's probably one of the most challenging aspects of this entire commandment. Most of us have no trouble treating ourselves to delicious food or fancy clothes or playing with expensive toys or driving expensive toys, making time for ourselves to enjoy all the pleasures we desire if we have the resources to do so. We spoil ourselves, but often we scrimp when it comes to loving others. But this is exactly the way God calls us to love others. 
I cannot just love my neighbor at arm's length. I must be willing to treat my neighbor at least as well as I treat myself. This measuring stick is a good evaluator of how well we're fulfilling this commandment. Even if it's somewhat true that we love our neighbors, are we loving our neighbors as much as we love ourselves? Here's a question. How much do we love ourselves? If we truly loved others as much as we love ourselves, what might our relationships look like? At the end of the day, we don't get to choose our neighbors as much as we might wish we could. A quick study of the original language, this Greek language makes it abundantly clear. The word neighbor comes from the Greek word translated near when used as an adverb and neighbor when used as a noun. It's always used to refer to somebody who is close by, according to the International Bible Encyclopedia. Therefore, anybody who is within relatively close proximity to us is considered a neighbor, which includes the house on the block that plays loud music, the co-worker who incessantly curses as a constant annoyance, and the homeless man on the corner waving his sign at us as we go on our daily commute. Like it or not, they are all our neighbors. And if I don't have the luxury of choosing who my neighbor is, it puts a lot more emphasis on how I treat the people who are already in my life, even the people I don't like. My neighbors might even be people who have hurt me in the past. But if they're within my sphere of influence, close enough to me to be near to me, I must show love and mercy toward them. How about you? Toward whom do you find it most difficult to fulfill this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself? What people or people groups are the most difficult for you? And how can you pray and take actions to be more compassionate? The Apostle Paul also referenced the second greatest commandment on more than one occasion. In Galatians 5 verse 14, Paul mused, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Paul said all the law. This includes all five books written by Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy. Instead of trying to painstakingly read, remember, and obey all the fine details and all the fine print written in the Torah, we could simply follow this guiding principle and fulfill all of them if we just loved our neighbor. At the end of the day, choosing to love God, that's a choice. But many Christians already know that. But choosing to love our neighbor, that's also a choice. Sometimes a more difficult choice to make than the first, but as we have learned, it is impossible to love God completely or correctly without also loving our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. Just like learning to love God is a process, so it is to learn to love others, especially when God has called us to love people who have hurt us and actively do not love us in return. It's especially difficult to love those who have abused us, physically, spiritually, otherwise. It's extremely difficult to love the murderer, the rapist, the terrorist. However, Scripture contains examples of God loving and saving murderers, rapists, and terrorists. And he often used simple humans like you and me to communicate that love through his gospel. Thank God for people who were diligent to follow God's command to love our neighbors as ourselves. Last question. What can we do today to intentionally love our neighbor as ourselves? Okay, let's wrap this up. Johnny Payton tells this story. Patrick was not much to look at the first time I met him. He was small and awkward and preferred computers to human interaction. He was the black sheep of his family, suffered from addiction, struggled to get a job. 
He was not the type of person I wanted to go out of my way to pick up for church on Sunday mornings. In fact, I really didn't want to hang out with him at all. In fact, on more than one occasion, I inwardly fumed when he made me late for church, called me late at night to pick him up from work, or he was running low on cash and asked me to buy him a burger. But the story of the young man from Bible college rang in my ears throughout my time with Patrick. I did not want to make that mistake again, so I endured. And eventually, Patrick got a steady job and a reliable vehicle. Then he started playing an instrument at church. And not long ago, I saw Patrick leading service and encouraging his church from the pulpit. When I saw that clip online, I was immediately humbled and felt guilty for all the times I was frustrated in the process of loving my neighbor. I thanked God for the time I spent loving Patrick, even though it was difficult. And through the love that I and others showed Patrick, God was able to mold him into a minister. While we could only see what Patrick was, God saw what Patrick could be. Many times we don't get to see the the ultimate fruit of loving our neighbors. Sometimes we love our neighbors and they outright reject us and reject Christ, never to darken the doors of the church again. But let's not be discouraged. Even Jesus loved, taught, fed people who ultimately turned away from him and never returned. Just take a look at John 6, verse 66. But if we can learn to love our neighbor like Jesus commanded us, we will see benefits above and beyond anything we could ever imagine. Let's pray for a couple of things. First of all, let's pray for our lost or our unsaved neighbors who need to hear the gospel. And then let's pray that the Lord would use us and move us with compassion to share this gospel and the love of Jesus with our neighbors. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for this glorious gospel. You have placed us in neighborhoods and schools and work. You've placed us in churches. You've placed us places where people are not yet right with you, not yet ready for heaven, but want to be and need to be. Lord, I pray for our lost or our unsaved neighbors, both physical neighbors, neighbors at work, neighbors in school, neighbors on the street. I pray, Lord Jesus, use us to reach them. Give us compassion. Minister to them. You use people to share the gospel with people. So I pray, God, move us with compassion to share the gospel with others so they can hear this glorious gospel you have given us and your word and your gospel can change others like you have changed us. Give us compassion. Take away prejudice and racism out of our hearts and help us to reach and love our neighbor as ourselves. I pray this today in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Be sure to click subscribe, be sure to click share, and you'll never miss an episode, and none of your friends will have to miss an episode. Also, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. We've got some wonderful Bibles, Bible studies, devotionals, books, resources, music, all there at PentecostalPublishing.com for you to grow in your faith and help others to grow in their faith as well. I took a gander at the map recently and discovered that, of course, North America here in these United States, the we had the most downloads for the last five episodes, but Right there behind North America is the United Kingdom, Great Britain. So thanks so much, Great Britain, for tuning in and making God's Word for Life part of your devotional life. And then as far as here in America, the city with the most downloads was Houston, Texas. So thanks to all of you Houstonians for making God's Word for Life part of your devotional life. Next week, we open up a new series called God is Our Refuge, and our first episode is called Strength in Suffering. It comes from Psalm 22, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for life. 
Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.